up, Central? Good seeing you guys. Don't mind me, just a gimp getting set up. Thanks to my lovely assistants. They are awesome. Couldn't do it without them. Um, well, hey, I am excited. Uh, for those of you here in the room, also excited. Uh, for those of you joining us online, the Mackies driving across the great state of Texas, uh, watching us online, welcome. So glad you guys are, are with us. Well, I am uh, fired up to kick off a new series. And uh, how many of you here would be humble enough to admit that, if, uh, that you might be able to use some wisdom when it comes to navigating how to raise your kids, whenever it comes to navigating finance, when it comes to uh, handling conversations and topics and, and realities around sex and work life and leadership challenges, and, and the list goes on and on. How many of you would be willing to say, man, I could use some more wisdom in those areas and many more? Uh, well, you're in the right place today because we're kicking off a brand new series on wisdom uh, from the book of Proverbs. And throughout the month of June, I want to invite you to join with me and the staff and many here at Central as we read through the book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom, and uh, even if you're skeptical about this whole Christianity thing, maybe you're not even a big fan of being here in the room. Uh, one, I want to say I'm, I'm honored that you're here. Uh, two, I would say I would, I would encourage you to check out the book of Proverbs and read a chapter of Proverbs a day. You'll get practical wisdom for your life. Uh, wisdom is more than information. Wisdom is how to not only retain information, but how, how to wisely applicate that to our lives, to, to deploy actions around wisdom. Um, here, for example, uh, I have a five-year-old son. I came downstairs this morning, and he's dressed 6.30, ready to go for church. And uh, he said, Daddy, my pants are broken. And I said, wow, well, let me see what's going on. And uh, he turns around. His pants were on backwards, right? <laughs> my pants are broken. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that way in life. I feel like this is broken. And I have information enough to put on my pants, but sometimes I put them on backwards, right? And it's, it's broken. Wisdom is not only knowing what to do with pants, but how to put them on the right way, so to speak, uh, throughout life's most challenging situations and circumstances. Here's our theme verse for this series, Proverbs 4, uh, verse 7. It says, wisdom is supreme. Like, it's it. This is the whole enchilada. This is the, the pinnacle. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, like be willing to write that check, get understanding. If it, no matter what it costs you, get it, because wisdom is everything. Uh, if you're following along in your, your notes, um, you'll see that uh, I made a mistake, uh, clearly outlined in your notes. Uh, I was planning on talking to you this week about four types of people that will meet in Proverbs, as well as an introduction to the book of Proverbs. Uh, but as I, I got into it... Um, we would not make it to, oh, I'm dropping stuff up here. Uh, we would not make it to the tip-off of the Golden State Warriors game at 5 o'clock if we did everything. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but I want to watch the game. So we're going to bump four types of people that you'll meet in Proverbs and four types of people that you interact with on a daily basis and how Proverbs uh, says we should navigate those types of people. Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, so this week, my hope for our time is to talk through an introduction to the book of Proverbs, kind of an overview of this book. And then talk to you about the foundation. What is the foundation of wisdom? 
And uh, so I want to introduce you to, some of you, this will be an introduction, to a new resource uh, called the Bible Project. Uh, there's this organization, this group of guys called the Bible Project, and they do wonderful, amazing sketches of uh, biblical themes, biblical narratives, as well as offering some commentary. And so as we kick off a book study in the book of Proverbs, I thought rather than me yapping up here, talking about an overview and introduction to the book, uh, we'll do it in a much more engaging way by showing you a video from the Bible Project for an overview slash introduction on the book of Proverbs. You are going to love this. Check this out on the screen behind me. The book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom. And this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well, and so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now wisdom for most of us means knowledge. But the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are ten speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. And the father warns his son also about folly and evil stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. 
And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's <coughs> word and wisdom to his people. Which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice, you're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well. But there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. 
It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem's about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom, and so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's awesome, huh? It's good. Yeah. Well, now you are dismissed. Go have a great week. No. <laughs> well, I'm excited for that because it touches on every point of life and really every individual, no matter what stage of life uh, you are currently in. And so my hope for you, my hope for uh, us collectively as a church is that we wouldn't just uh, show up every week of this series, but that we would absorb and uh, really meditate on Proverbs, the book of Proverbs throughout the month of June. Uh, but don't have to limit it to that. My, my hope is that I've, for the past about 18 months, been trying to read a proverb of the day. Uh, and so if today's the second, I read Proverbs chapter 2. On the 14th, I read Proverbs chapter 14. If you miss a day, jump into whatever day it is. Uh, there are reading plans available. We posted those on uh, our social media, on Facebook page and Instagram, so you can check those out there from the Bible Project. So if you like that video, there's some other ones that are accompanied with the reading plan. Well, as you heard uh, from that video, there is a foundation to wisdom. There is a beginning. If you don't get this, then you don't get any of it, really. And here's what it says in the introduction of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it says this. Here it is. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Like the fear of the Lord is the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I want to talk to you today about the beginning of wisdom. Uh, we have a lot of topics we want to address. Some of them we'll get to, some of them we might not get to. Uh, but I thought for week one, man, there's no better place to start than the foundation, than the beginning of wisdom. And that is the fear of the Lord. And uh, as it said in the video, when you live with the fear of the Lord and you apply wisdom, it's like you're, you're going with the grain of the universe rather than trying to go against the grain. Um, I, here's what it says. There's a lot of passages on the fear of the Lord, but Proverbs 9, 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts there. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I would suggest that the fear of the Lord doesn't mean being terrified of him. Doesn't mean we keep God at arm's distance because he's super scary. Uh, but, but I believe that a working definition for the fear of the Lord is this. Living with a healthy fear of the Lord is simply having humility for God's authority and living in awe of him. Having a healthy respect, a healthy uh, humility for God's authority, and living in awe of, of who he is. And so how does living with a healthy fear of the Lord impact a church? Uh, well, check it out in the New Testament. In Acts nine thirty one. it says this, uh, the church then had peace throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and, and it became stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord. As a result, it also had encouragement from the Holy Spirit, and it also grew in number. As Richard Rock so beautifully put last week, uh, you are the church, 
I'm the church. We are the church. The church is an organization. The church is in a building with four walls and a roof. The church is people, people like you and me. And so whenever you live, when I live, when we live with a healthy fear of the Lord, a natural byproduct is that we grow stronger. We have the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of those two things, we grow numerically, right? So how do we live with a healthy fear of the Lord? What does that even look like? Well, I want to give you three declarations to live with a healthy fear of the Lord. So it's not on your front page because I'm an idiot, uh, but it's on the second page. Uh, so we're going to jump in there and we'll jump into the first page. We'll look at the first page next week. Uh, how do we live with a healthy fear of the Lord? Three declarations that will allow you to live with a healthy fear of the Lord. And here I would say this too. Uh, just saying these declarations does not mean that we live with a healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, but when these declarations move from mere words to convictions to where we deep down at the core of who we are, we say these not just as words that we speak, but but actions that we live by as guideposts for our life. Then we have the foundation of wisdom intact. So here it is. There's the first declaration. God is awesome. God is awesome. Easy to say, but when you live with that as a deep down conviction, it changes everything. Here's what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 33, 8. It says, let the whole world fear the Lord and let them stand in awe of him because he is awesome. Living with a healthy fear of the Lord means we stand back and we say, whoa, God, like you, wow, you're a big deal. Like you are awesome. I stand in awe of who you are and what you do. The psalmist also wrote in Psalms 34, 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I don't know about you, but I'm like, how do you magnify God who's so big, right? Like God who created the universe. Like, do I stick him under a microscope and examine him? Like, what does that even mean to magnify God? I would submit to you that magnify God. We we magnify God when we see God as he really is. By seeing God as he is, we magnify the Lord. Here's what A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy. If you're looking for a summer read uh, for Summer at Central, this is a a book by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Easy, quick, simple, old school Christian uh, classic, uh, uh, but it will challenge you. It will uh, make you feel a little bit uncomfortable at times, but it's 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 a solid read. And here's what he says in this book. He says... Um, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I'd, I'd agree with that. What comes into your mind when you initially hear the word God is the most important thing about you because here's what that, how that plays out. If you view God as harsh, your relationship with God will be harsh. Your relationship with God will likely be legalistic and law-abiding, very harsh, because you view him as harsh. If you view God as a genie in a bottle, who runs the cosmos and exists to grant you wishes, then God will be very disappointing to you whenever he does not run the universe and run your life and orchestrate things the way that you want him to. And so how do we view God as he is? A.W. Tozer would go on to say this in that book. He says, Christianity at any given time is weak or strong depending on her concept of God. For some of us, our religion is weak because our God is weak. Our religion is ignoble because our God we serve is ignoble. Ignoble. And the problem with that is we do not see him as he is. Like he is awesome. But sometimes the challenge for you, sometimes the challenge for me is I don't see him as he really is. And so how do we do that? 
Um, and, and that will lead to a healthy fear of God when we see him as he is. Here's what the psalm says in Psalms 33, 6. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Like not real labor intensive, not real exhausting, but just by the breath of his mouth. Ah, here's the heavens. Pew. Awesome. I want us to think about that. Think about that. So, so we have a sun in our solar system, right? It's the only star in our solar system. Uh, the sun is 10,000 degrees in Fahrenheit, right? I go back to Missouri this past week. It's like 80 degrees and humid. I'm like, what is going on? The sun is 10,000 degrees. Like that is cooking, right? The sun is 93 million miles away from our earth. And so light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And as you step out the doors of this church, it will have left the sun, a lightning will have left the sun, travel 93 million miles and will touch your skin on a beautiful day in Santa Clara County in just eight minutes. That's awesome. He's big. It's huge. Check this out. You could fit 960,000 earths inside of the sun. 960,000. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's big. He's big. He does big things. Uh, there's this guy named Louis Giglio. He did a message called, uh, how great is our God. And, uh, throughout this summer, maybe even this week, I would encourage you to give it a Google, Google, how great is our God by Louis Giglio. Some of you might've seen it. Some of you haven't. If you've seen it, watch it again. It's awesome. Uh, but, but he talks about the cosmos. He talks about the universe. Check it out on YouTube. It's so good. And so this is really his, his intellectual property that I'm about to share with you regarding the universe. But he talks about a star named Betelgeuse or, or, or Betelgeuse. And we'll use Betelgeuse because it's a better, more fun word in my book. Um, so Betelgeuse is 427 light years away, 427 light years away. It's twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. If the earth, check this out, there's advantages of being a cripple and, and having a basket. Uh, so I'm leveraging my ruptured Achilles as much as I can. I got some props in my basket right here. Uh, check this out. So if this golf ball, anybody like to play golf? All right. So next time you tee off, look at the golf ball and, and consider this to be the earth, right? And let's find our little spot here in San Jose. Here we are. So if the earth were a golf ball, Beetlejuice would be the Empire State Building. Six Empire State Buildings actually stacked on top of each other. I didn't hear any gasps. So uh, maybe we should go to New York City as a family this summer. Uh, I'll go with you. That'd be cool. Uh, we can get on a plane, go to New York City. And as we stand there and as we gaze up at the Empire State Building, it's huge. Like, have you seen the movie Elf? Right? Oh, look, a Christmas tree. <laughs> That's the Empire State Building. It's huge. There's a lot of floors, right? And so six of those puppies stacked on top of each other. We go as a family to New York City. We get on an airplane. We get to the Empire State. We look up. We say, oh, my gosh, this building's huge. Here I am in San Jose on this little golf ball. Wow. Six of them stacked on top of each other. We bust it out of our pocket, and we sit there on the sidewalk. And it's New York City. It's weird, but nobody cares because it's New York City. And so we say, whoa, I thought I was a big deal. I thought my world was a big deal. But God, by the breath of your mouth, you created a star that six times bigger than the Empire State Building. God, who, who, who am I that you're mindful of me? God, you are awesome. He would talk about the largest star 
Well, let me just go back. Earth's a golf ball. Our earth, we think it's big, right? The, the Mackies traveling across the state of Texas. The state of Texas is huge, right? You feel like you're driving and driving and driving and driving and driving. Beetlejuice is 262 trillion times the size of our earth. If the earth were a golf ball, we could fill the Superdome with golf balls. Not just once, because obviously that wasn't impressive enough. But we could fill the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. Hey, hey, there it is, there it is. It's kind of like the middle school dance. It's awkward, but it's better if we both participate, right? <laughs> awesome. The largest star in the universe is Canis Majors. It's located 5,000 light years away. And so maybe one of you has a buddy that has an airplane that can travel at 186,000 miles per second. And maybe as the church family, we can board that airplane. But we're going to need to get comfortable because we're going to have to travel for 5,000 years to arrive there. You might want to bring some sunglasses and some sunblock because Canis Majors is 500,000 times brighter than our sun. And if the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majors would be Mount Everest. That's, that's, we're getting there. We're getting there. This is good. This is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. So, Ken is a hiker. He likes to hike. There's a men's hiking trip coming up. If you're into that, check it out. But let's assume Ken leads us on a backpack trip to Nepal. And, and we go there this summer, and Ken leads us up this mountain. And Ken actually has to carry me on your back. I'm sorry, I got this thing going on. Uh, so, Ken, thanks for carrying me on your back. We get to the top of Mount Everest. Now, now, remind you, Mount Everest is 32,000 and or 39,029 feet at six miles high at the highest point, right? So we hike up Mount Everest. We get to the top. Ken zips up his, opens up his parka, pulls out this bad boy. Here we are in San Jose. And we just say, wow, you're a big God. I, I apologize for not seeing you as you are. I thought you could fit in my little, neat, tidy, happy box, but apparently you're much bigger than my box. You're much bigger than my frame of mind. You're bigger than I could ever dream or imagine. God, you are unfathomable. And I just want to stand here on the top of this mountain and say, wow, God, I'm in awe of you. Boom. Check this out. You could fit seven quadrillion. I, I have a hard time pronouncing that, much less knowing what that means. Seven quadrillion earths inside of Canis Majors. Thank you. <laughs> to help us wrap our minds around this, especially the Mackies driving across the state of Texas, you could cover the earth with golf balls. You could cover Texas, sorry. The state of Texas with golf balls. It's a big state. Thank you. That's right, Chris. It's a big state. But it's not just covering the entire state of Texas. You would have to stack golf balls on top of each other 22 inches deep and still cover the state of Texas. And this is us right here, one little golf ball right here in San Jose living that dream, baby. I just say that to say this. God is big. He's huge. By, by the, the word of the Lord, 
the heavens were made by the, by the breath of his mouth. The starry host. Psalms 19 says that, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And what might God be trying to say to us through his creation? Why would God create a hundred billion galaxies with over a trillion stars? Why would he do all that? Maybe, just maybe, he would do all that. So in a moment like this, we would just pause from the hustle of life and think about who he is and just stand in awe and say, God, you are awesome. You're an awesome God. You do things that my mind can't even fathom. You work in ways that I don't even know about. I see you working in certain ways, but you work in a whole lot more ways that I don't even understand. Your ways are not my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are your ways higher than mine. God, I don't understand it. Maybe just, maybe, God would create all that so in a moment like this, I would pause and say, who do I think I am to tell you what to do? Your wisdom has no boundaries. Your knowledge has no limits. Maybe, just maybe, God would do all of that. So we would pause in a moment like this to realize that this life isn't really all about us. But it's about this huge God who created the universe and knit you together in your mother's womb with great delight and detail and intentionality and endowed you with divine purpose so that we would look up and say, man, we serve a big God, but God, you've entrusted me not only with a relationship with you, but you've given me the honor. Who am I to speak on your behalf? You invite me to tell my friends, my buddies about how awesome you are. Wow, God, you're awesome. Maybe, just maybe, God created all that. So on June 2nd, 2019, we would pause And remember that in the midst of all this life throws at us, we serve the God who created the universe. And some of you are up against some really big things. But listen, he is bigger than your situation. He is bigger than your challenge. He is bigger than the obstacles you're facing. He has wisdom for you in the moment, and he has your back. It's not some mansy-pansy little God. He is the God who created the universe, and he is very big and big enough to handle the challenges that you're facing today. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I like it. So let's switch gears. Let's switch gears as we go into summer to some things that you will encounter, things that you will see with your naked eye that are a little bit closer to home. Uh, Have you ever seen a caterpillar? I heard last year, like, there were caterpillars everywhere. Like, I was at uh, my son's baseball game this week. They're like, last year, there were caterpillars. We'd go home. We'd be picking off caterpillars off of us. Uh, caterpillars, you might not know this, but caterpillars have 228 distinct muscles in their head. In that little head, 228 distinct muscles. The, thank you, John. The average elm tree has 6 million leaves. A spider, you might not like spiders, but spiders can, they, they produce three different types of silk. And spiders can can produce 60 feet of silk in an hour, all the while dispensing oil onto their feet to make sure that they don't stick to their own webs. I'm just saying, 60 feet an hour is worthy of some respect before you smash them. You know what I'm saying? Like, go ahead and smash them or whatever, but like 60 feet an hour, that's impressive. And here's a fun fact. You're more likely to be killed by a champagne cork than by a spider. So I don't know whether that should make you feel more comfortable around spiders or terrified of champagne corks, but (laughs) do with it what you will. I'm just saying everywhere we look in God's creation, he is 
declaring to us. He is announcing to us. He is reminding us that he is awesome. And when I see him as awesome, when I view him as he is, I live with a healthy fear of God. And I say, oh God, whatever you want from me, yes, sir. Whatever you have for my future, I want it. You have plans and purposes for me that I may not understand in the moment, but God, I'm going to trust you because you're big enough. You're big enough to do all that. I don't even, I can't even pronounce the words of light years how far away you are, but God, you did it. And it wasn't complicated by the word of the Lord, by the breath of your mouth. Wow. God, you're awesome. You are awesome. All right. Um, Isaiah 40, 28 says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Check this out. His understanding. I, we just can't even fathom it. I mean, you just can't even wrap your head around it. He's so awesome. He is so awesome. Second declaration that I hope becomes a conviction for all of us is that God is holy. God is holy. I have a picture I want to show you from Leonardo da Vinci. You probably have seen this picture before. It's a, a painting that Leonardo da Vinci painted of the Last Supper. Uh, this is Jesus with his disciples. And Leonardo da Vinci uh, didn't have a whole lot of trouble painting this picture until he got to the faces. And then he struggled with the faces of the disciples. Uh, but he kind of breezed through it without a whole lot of challenge. But he kept putting off painting the face of Jesus because he felt so unworthy to even paint the face of of Christ, And so he, he kept holding off, unwilling to approach it, but knowing that he must. And then in the impulsive carelessness of desire, he just painted it as quickly as he could, and he just let it go. And here's what Leonardo da Vinci said. He said, there is no use. I cannot paint him. I, I feel that way every time I step onto the stage. I, I can't articulate to you in words that will help you understand and see him as he is. I can't even describe to you how awesome he is. I, 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 words fall so short to describe his holiness, his majesty, his grandeur, his love for you. I, I can't even tell you how he's changed my life. I can't even tell you how he's rescued me out of hopeless situations and, and filled me with hope. I can't even explain to you how for you he is. I can't even describe how big his plans for you are. I can't even paint him as he is. It's like me trying to take a raindrop to illustrate the ocean. It just falls so, 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 so short. And whenever it comes to this topic of his holiness, I, have, I especially feel so inadequate to even try to articulate how holy, awesome, powerful he is. But when I see him as awesome, when I see him as holy, I begin to live my life on the foundation of wisdom and have a healthy fear of the Lord. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalms 99.5. He said, uh, let the Lord, uh, exalt the Lord our God. Bow at his feet, for he is holy. Like he is in a league all his own. Like no words I can used to describe him like like he he stands alone in solitude of himself like no one can even compare he's unlike anything that we can describe or illustrate like he is next level and even that falls so short now we want to create an environment here where we can make christianity attractive 
We want to communicate timeless truths in a culturally relevant fashion. But we will never allow culture to dictate who God is. Like, like God is not my homeboy. He is not the big man upstairs. He is not my co-pilot. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I would be wise to approach him as such. Here's what Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you are an inheritance of this. You're an, an heir of this. You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and let us worship God acceptably. How? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He is awesome. He is holy. And third and final declaration that I hope becomes a conviction for all of us, that we would live from this framework that declares God is right. God's right. That's a simple way to put it. I don't really know how else to say it. He's right. You know, in in culture today, we have people saying, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, did people really cross on like dry ground? Can God part the Red Sea? I don't know. Can a guy survive in the belly of a fish? I, I don't know. Can, can a virgin really give birth? I don't know. Can God really raise the dead? I don't know. And I'm just saying, if God's word says it, I'm just believing he's right. I'm going to stand on what's been proved over time, and I'm going to build my life on his word because he is trustworthy. And I just, from personal experience and proven throughout generation after generation, I'm just saying God's right. And doubt is really the enemy's oldest trick. He showed up to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, hey, did God really say that? I mean, can you really really trust that? And you see how well that worked out for you, right? Every woman that's ever given birth, thank you for buying into the lie, Eve, right? (laughs) Fallen world, broken Achilles, sweat, mosquitoes, Cubs fans. It's awful. But (laughs) here we are. I say all that to say this. Hey, whenever my feelings tell me one thing, but God's word tells me something else, God's right. Whenever my friends tell me one thing, but God's word tells me something else, I'm just believing God's right. When, God's, when, when my family tell me one thing, but God's word tells me something contrary, I'm just saying God's right. When the media and culture tell me one thing, I'm saying God's right. When social media tell me one thing, and my word, God's word, tells me something different. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Starting to, starting to dance. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Psalms 19, 7 through 11 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Some of you are in here, and you could use some fresh wind in the soul. Some of you are in here, and, and man, your life might feel like it's a wreck. But I'm just saying, uh, understanding God's word, applying it to your life, will revive your soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to our eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, more than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey on the comb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. He's right. Proverbs 19, 23 says this, the fear of the Lord leads to life. When I live from a framework that says, you know what, God, you're right. I'm just gonna do it your way. My feelings are telling me to do this, but God, I'm gonna trust your word. I'm gonna do it that way. God, my friends are telling me to do it that way, but, but God, your word says this, so I'm trusting that, that you're right. 
And and when I live from a posture that says, God, I'm humbling myself under your authority because you're so much bigger. You're so awesome. You are holy. I don't understand all your ways, but I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to believe you're right. Here's what will happen. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And it will bring security to you and protection from harm. Proverbs says, even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Like nothing this world can throw at you can bring you harm. In closing, I want to give you wisdom from week one. And this is a, we could call this a proverb from Pastor Perkins. (laughs) No, really, lean in and and write this down. This is good. Um, It's interesting, in in Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew culture, poems, our our culture, poetry is words that rhyme, right? Um, Dr. Seuss, great poet. There's a lot of other great, great poets. Um, But uh, in in Hebrew poetry, they don't rhyme words, they rhyme thoughts. And so in the book of Proverbs, a book of poetry, you'll see things like this. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And so it's paralleling thoughts. Here's a proverb for you to hold on to the principle of week one. When I understand what it means to fear God, I can live fearlessly. The last fill in the blank on your page. When I understand what it means to fear God, I can live fearlessly. Because when you think about that, man, like you view God as he is. You live from that framework. It's not just a, a confession. It's a conviction. We say, God, you're big. What can my boss do to me? God, you're huge. What can that court case do to me? God, God you're, you're so much bigger than I could ever dream or imagine. What could, that, what could that family member that's out to do me harm, what could they do to me? I'm going to live fearlessly because, God, you are awesome. I'm going to build my life on your word, and I'm not going to fear harm because I'm going to trust you and do what's right because I believe you're right. When we understand what it means to fear God, we can live fearlessly. Let's be that church. Let's be that church that understand what it means to fear God. And as a result, we will live fearless lives. And we will move forward in the future fearlessly. And as Richard Rock said last week, you are the church. And every individual in this room has a part to play. And so do I. So let's collectively and individually live with a healthy fear of the Lord. Because he's awesome. And when you do, you will live a fearless kind of life. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that we can build our lives upon, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and everyone listening online, everyone listening here in the room, everyone listening later this week, that, God, you would allow us to see you as you are so that we might see the world around us as it is and view ourselves in light of who you are that we might have a healthy fear of you, not to be terrified, but just to recognize, God, you're awesome, you're holy, and you're right. May we trust you to that end in Jesus' name. 